I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography or any type of compulsive sexual behavior. If you or anybody that you know is struggling to put pornography behind them once and for all, and it can be done, then please visit pathbackrecovery.com. There you can find a a tiny short ebook that is uh, five reasons um, that, uh, or five mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. Uh, I blew that there at the end because I was so focused on, I made a tiny um, gesture with my fingers and then I was laughing to myself in my own head about it being a tiny book. It is really a short book. Um, if I printed it ever, maybe I could make it in a, a tiny pages or that sort of thing. And please visit, um, visit Virtual Couch on Instagram. Now you can find the Virtual Couch page on Facebook. That is new. Previously, I was pointing people simply to Tony Overbay, licensed marriage and family therapist. But uh, go like them both. Why not? And if you have a minute and you've enjoyed some of the Virtual Couch podcast material, please do me a favor and go rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. And also go to TonyOverbay.com. I forgot to mention that the last few episodes. And um, sign up there. I said this before, but good things coming. Um, I don't sell that list. I rarely ever even send emails out to it. I'm trying to get better about that because there's just uh, some things. I actually like some feedback on a few things. I want to throw a couple of more polls out that way, some things about future episodes, uh, some questions, um, a little bit more research that I'd love to do because uh, we've got a nice um, healthy uh, list there built up that I'm not taking advantage of. So I'd love to hear more from you. And uh, I'm not saying that this is a new segment, but man, I've been dying to uh, share some of this stuff. So part of my podcast host, they do a audio transcription. So it's just an automatic audio transcription. And I still envision this day when I can have uh, the audio transcription available on my website. So the recent um, or the interview a few weeks ago with Je- Dr. Jennifer Finless and Fife, which I loved, I thought it had so much good information on that one I actually took and I paid for a professional um, audio transcription. And I have that in a document and I need to put that up on the website because there was just so much good stuff there and I want to be able to pull quotes from it and I want to be able to have that available so people can go to TonyOverbay.com and download that. As a matter of fact, if you want that, uh, shoot me an email at contact at TonyOverbay.com and I can go ahead and send that to you before I finally figure out what's going on with the website. But the automatic audio transcription is just, it's its awesome. And I don't want to say anything negative about the, because I know it's a an evolving process. And especially when I talk very quickly, its I can't imagine how difficult that is for um, I guess robots to pick up on the things that I'm saying. But again, not trying to say a new segment, but I was looking over the transcription from the last episode, episode 128 with Dr. Adam Harcourt talking about migraines, brain fog, all that kind of stuff, which was a blast and uh, a whole bunch of different kind of feedback coming in on that one. I'm going to do an episode down the road of some questions more about brain fog, migraines, just the brain in general, because uh, Dr. Harcourt was so easy to talk to. It was fantastic. But here is a transcription, apparently somewhere around the 10 minute mark, because it does have a little bit of a time code. Um, here's the transcription. Well, John 15 Lices ended up telling me in my head, and I still can't get to work, right or not. That's going to well out of stumps. That's when I may be going backwards to. So I'm not really sure what I was saying in that moment, but that is the audio transcription. In other parts, it had it nailed, and you can tell exactly what I was saying. But again, that one, somewhere around the 10-minute mark, if you want to go back for fun, I haven't done so yet. But uh, it's, well, John 15 Lices ended up telling me in my head, and I still can't get to work, right or not. That's going to well out of stumps. That's when I may be going backwards to. So uh, apparently that's uh, something that I said in that last um, podcast. And then a little bit later on, I was trying to find another one just really quickly. And that one said, some irony is don't just try to cut out gluten or Gary or one of those things by themselves. And so that one, I'm pretty sure that was gluten or dairy. 
Um, but it turns into not wanting to cut out Luton or Gary. Bless his heart. I'm sure he's trying to do his best. So um, here's today's podcast. And uh, this one might again be a short one. Last week, I tried to do an Instagram video at the end of the week. I was getting ready to head out of town. And uh, I, I just I got a chance to get look through a bunch of emails. And I'm trying to get caught up. And I start to see similar emails over and over again. And one of the emails that I get often kind of goes something like, um, you know, hey, I know I'm the only person that I can control or my emotions are the only things that I'm in control of or I know I can't change my spouse so I need not to worry about that, those kind of things. And I do. I get, I get those, um, a few of those every week and I deal with that, uh, that issue or that, um, that concept in therapy on a daily basis. I already had one of those this morning as a matter of fact. But here's – and again, I hear what people are saying and I'm a huge fan of self-care and all of that, those wonderful things. And so I tried to do a, a really quick Instagram video to address that because I initially I wanted to answer questions on those Instagram videos. And guess what? Surprise, I found out I tend to go on a little bit too long. I get passionate about the subjects. And so this little, I was going to make it a minute or two, it was about eight minutes long. And I was sharing that with my wife. And she said, you got to do a podcast about it because um, basically I get all caught up in the, the cool data and experiences and examples. And so this is one of those situations. So that is the question is that when somebody says, I know I'm, I can only control my thoughts and I need to do my, my own work and I can't rely on my partner and those sort of things. And again, I hear you. I understand self-care. I do. I, matter of fact, my emotional baseline theory is all about self-care, of that putting in the time to, of the things that will um, help raise your emotional baseline, put you in a spot to be a better husband, father, wife, mother, um, employee, parent, you name it. And uh, so that self-care is essential. But I think that this is kind of similar to um, one of the things that I also hear often, and I've done a couple of podcasts on this, is when people say, I know I'm supposed to just focus on being happy when I wake up. So why can't I? Or why does it only last for a little while? Those type of things. And uh, and I believe on one of those podcasts somewhere in the 70s or that sort of thing, you know, I even kind of brought up the data that's around positive affirmations. And trust me, I would much rather, um, you know, say nice things than, than say uh, horrible things or mean things or that sort of thing. But even positive affirmations, the data there, the, the, the evidence-based data is a bit of a challenge because what happens is a lot of times when people are just saying just kind of these random positive affirmations, um, their own brain is saying, you know, you don't really believe this or, or why are you saying this or nobody believes this. And so then when we kind of get back to that what's wrong with me story, when it's like, man, I can't even do positive affirmations right, you know, then there's uh, we can actually kind of feel a little bit worse when we set out to feel better. So, so that's why I'm this huge mindfulness fan, and it's kind of like we have those thoughts and feelings and emotions because we're human, because of all the things that we've been through, but then what are we going to do with them? How do we change the relationship with our thoughts? So I wanted to kind of just say a little bit of, um, you know, on that note, from the book The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris, um, just even speaking about happiness, and I'm going to get back to marriage, I promise, but he says, you know, we all want it, we all crave it, we all strive for it, but what is it? And, and here's where I want to set the table for where we're going to go with couples uh, dialogue as well. So in that book, The Happiness Trap, Russ Harris says, the word happiness has two very different meanings. The common meaning of the word is feeling good. In other words, a feeling a sense of pleasure or gladness or gratification. And I think that uh, I would guess that most of us can say that, yeah, when we think of happiness, we think of, man, this is great. This is awesome. Having a great time, having a good meal, feeling good at a nice place, you know, whatever those kind of things are, feeling good. So because we all enjoy those feelings. So it's no surprise that we chase them. However, like all human emotions, feelings of happiness don't last. And that is not saying that you are doing something wrong. That's just, that's the way that, that, that life kind of works. No matter how hard we try to hold on to them, they slip away every time. And as we shall see, this is again Russ Harris saying this, a life spent in pursuit of those just good feelings, those good feelings only, is in the long term deeply unsatisfying. 
In fact, the harder we chase after those pleasurable feelings, the more we're likely to suffer from anxiety and depression because we, and this is my, my commentary, because we don't necessarily um, acknowledge or make room for when those, those just everything's great in the world feelings aren't there. Then we think, what are we doing wrong? We need to find those everything in the world is amazing and awesome feelings again. But here's what I like. He said, the other far less common meaning of happiness is living a rich, full, and meaningful life. So when we can take action on the things that truly matter deep in our hearts, move in directions that we consider valuable and worthy, clarify what we stand for in life and act accordingly, then our lives become rich and full and meaningful, and we experience a powerful sense of vitality. This is not some fleeting feeling. It's a profound sense of a, of a life well-lived. And although such a life will undoubtedly give us many pleasurable feelings, it will also give us uncomfortable ones, such as sadness and fear and anger. And this is only to be expected. If we live a full life, we will feel the full range of human emotions. And here's where I want to kind of get all vulnerable and real and all those kind of things. Um, I love what I do and it's a career change. And as a matter of fact, uh, anyway, I'll talk about that more in the, in the coming weeks, but, um, I love what I do, but today, uh, just coming off of a little bit of a vacation with my family, it was awesome, but you know, just kind of one of those things where we're feeling like, okay, I love what I do. There's nothing else that I would rather do. Um, but a little behind on a couple of projects, you know, trying to fit a bunch of people in and some, some, you know, heavier client things that are kind of going on. And so it feels a little bit like, uh, you know, and so does that mean that I am, I am not happy? No, I'm happy. I'm happy with the direction that my life is going because I am living a rich, full, and meaningful life. Um, do I want to just eat chocolate and go for that, you know, immediate gratification? Absolutely. And I have literally turned to, to that a couple of times today and I've had to mindfully breathe, breathe through it and try to, you know, not just turn to the chocolate. I know there are two Reese's sticks in my bag from my trip right this very second and I am not going to get them. Um, I'll be curious to know if they make it throughout the remainder of the day. Um, but so, so and, and it, as a matter of fact, you know, so it kind of goes to that question of, are you seeking true happiness for you, you know, based on all the unique things that make you, you, are you feeling connected in your parenting and your health and your job and your marriage and your faith? If you're not working on those types of things, then I feel like it's not a huge stretch to see why then just choosing to think happy thoughts doesn't really go too far if you really aren't feeling very authentic. And because we're going to have the ups and downs daily in the hour, even in the minute, and if your definition of happiness is based around that first one I read about self-gratification and just feeling good, then you can see where patterns of unhealthy behaviors can start to creep in because, you know, what is TV or our phones or Reese's peanut butter sticks, bless their hearts, um, you know, what, pornography, any kind of food, you name it. Those are these um, instant gratification, I don't know, instant gratification traps, maybe if you'll uh, kind of go with me there. So where was I? Uh, okay, <laughs> happiness can be fleeting. Uh, so take even last night. Um, last night I'm flying home. And uh, we had a wonderful trip to Portland. Uh, my wife and my son and I are there. It was just a good time, just a good trip. And we're heading back to the airport and um, in a rental car and it filled up with gas. I mean, it really, nothing's going wrong. And uh, pull up to the airport, leave, get, get up to security. And I realized that I forgot my glasses and I had in this little case and they were in the side panel of the car. And, you know, and it was so funny because I was doing so well and we were going to get some food and we were going to be there early for the trip. And we had checked in and we're in the, you know, whatever boarding group. So we're going to get cool seats everything's going great. And I remember, doggone it, my glasses. And then all of a sudden I think, yeah, forget it. And then I think, no, the glasses cost more money than I thought they would. And I kind of like the whole seeing thing. You know, it's not a bad thing. And, but I'm even in that moment, just like, oh, come on, you know, I, I'll just get new ones. I don't, I won't even worry about it. My wife's saying we got plenty of time. And so I say, okay, you guys go ahead and I'm going to go back and I'm going to go to the rental car counter. Thankfully in Portland, you don't have to go on a shuttle. And I go back there and I tell the guy, and I even was trying to be so mindful at first. I was like finding myself getting angry and I'm like, okay, that's normal to get angry, but it's not very productive. I mean, this, it is what it is. They're going to have them or they're not. And, you know, I can't blame anybody else. Not that even blaming anybody else would have mattered. 
And so guy was nice. I'm really nice to the guy. I'm pacing so I can get extra steps uh, in the airport because um, it's a Sunday. I don't usually get a whole lot of steps. So I'm like, okay, we'll make the most of it. I'm pacing. I'm pacing, you know, trying to get the heart rate up a little bit. And he comes back. He has the glasses and uh, you know, live happily ever after. I mean, actually, well, no, I did live happily ever after. But, but it was funny because um, up till the point where I remembered that I had lost them or that I didn't have them, everything was great. But then as I'm running back to the um, the rental car place, I, I just feel like, oh man, this stinks. And, and it's so funny how the brain will kind of dump on there and like, yeah, you know, and you're going to be home late and now you're not going to get to eat and you know, you're going to be grumpy and you got to go back to work tomorrow. And I was like, Oh geez, you know, back off. You know, the, the brain was trying to pile on. And so here I had just felt great. And then here was this thing, just this, just this situation that, uh, that was there already. My glasses weren't with me and I was still feeling good. And then just having to go back and deal with them, it's just funny, the ups and downs. Now, would I then say, see, I'm, I'm not happy. See what happens to me? It's like, no. I mean, that stuff, the ups and downs happen in life. Um, but overall, it felt good. And I actually did end up like getting, I've got the guy that got searched. I got in the wrong line. Then they go through my bag and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I you know, make it on. My family's already boarded and I didn't get any food. And I ended up eating a whole bunch of goldfish crackers. I didn't feel very good about that. But anyway, um, but it's like one of those moments where, you know, my happiness is about this rich, meaningful, full life. And there are going to be ups and downs, bumps in the road. So where was I? Happiness can be fleeting, right? So I believe that what we're talking about is something similar with our marriages or our partnerships or relationships. So are you feeling connected in your marriage? Is your view of marriage happiness one where it's just fun, where you're in a constant state of bungee jumping and going out to eat? And, and I realize that some, sometimes there are younger folks listening. So and being intimate. Um, see where I was going there, right? Well, guess what? I mean, jobs are going to be hard. Kids, you name the age, are going to be a challenge. They really, really are going to be a challenge. It would be wonderful, but they're going to be a challenge. Your parents, even when you're older, don't necessarily become easier. You have neighbors who can be a challenge. Your health might start to go, like needing glasses. I didn't even need them a year, year and a half ago. But are you feeling fulfilled in your marriage? And if not, do you feel like when you try to connect or when you need your partner to be there for you that they are often not? Now, if so, boy, that was a long way to get to. If so, I can truly understand why people then say and send me these messages. And, I, and I'll hear people talking about on uh, other kind of, uh, even in some other podcasts and, and those sort of things where they say, look, I'm only in, you're only in charge of your own emotions. Why are you expecting more from your partner? I get it. And again, I'm a huge fan of self-care. My whole, again, my whole emotional baseline theory is on self-care. But let's ask ourselves, why did we get married? Was it because it was expected? Did it seem like the next logical step? And these are just some of the realities. Um, were we, um, I think some Disney movie, somebody said, uh, Twitter pated, or did we grow up, uh, with a, you know, a background where you didn't so much as hold hands before you were married. So was marriage motivated by, again, keeping aware of kids, um, being intimate with someone, those sort of things. So even if those are the reasons, we still have this innate biological need to securely attach to a partner. And I think this is where the meat comes from. Pretty much all of us were birthed by humans. And uh, we instinctively had to count on other humans to have our needs met. Babies don't do very well out in the wild. We aren't like a baby rhinoceros who hit the ground running and snorting and ready to eat. I mean, I guess we, I mean, babies do want to eat and probably snort, but we're not running and, and babies are squishy and there's no armor and there's no spikes. And we immediately had attachment needs. And for better or worse, we immediately had attachment issues. So young parents, not even knowing what to do or thinking that they were doing the right thing based on the science of the day or lack of science of the day, whether it was you know, sleep on your stomach or on your back or on your side or in a crib or in a bed or play baby Mozart or maybe it's baby Einstein or there's a bouncy chair. Maybe it's swaddled. You know, our parents could have meant so, so well, and yet we still have these attachment issues. Again, everyone's going to have them. And, and it might be through the, the, the parent. It might be through DNA. It might through, be through uh, birth order. Um, are you there for me? Environment? You name it. We're going to have these things. So 
Sue Johnson, I've talked about her often. She's the founder of Emotionally Focused Therapy, which is an evidence-based modality for uh, couples communication, author of Hold Me Tight and a follow-up book called Love Sense that I have not spent a lot of time talking about, but I need to. I need to do a whole episode on Love Sense. But uh, here's where she quoted a, another um, well-known psychologist. Here's what she said. This is in the book Love Sense. She said, the message touted by popular media and therapists has been that we're supposed to be in total control of our emotions before we turn to others. Love yourself first, and then another will love you. But our new knowledge stands that message on its head. For humans, and this is uh, says psychologist Ed Tronick of the University of Massachusetts, the maintenance of emotional balance is a dyadic collaborative process. That is a fancy way of saying that we are designed to deal with emotions, as Sue Johnson says, in concert with another person, not by ourselves. That that is one of these innate biological needs. Um, she goes on to say it's important to emphasize that misattunement is not a sign of lack of love or lack of commitment. It is inevitable and normal. In fact, it's startlingly common. Um, kind of go back to this, uh, this guy, Ed Tronick. Um, so he's from Harvard Medical School. Uh, he said, he, and he spent years absorbed in monitoring the interactions between mother and child, finds that even happily bonded mothers and infants miss each other's signals fully 70% of the time. So even in the most securely attached adult-child relationships, we're sending these unclear signals and we're misreading cues. Um, we become distracted. We suddenly shift our level of emotional intensity. We leave our partner behind. Or we simply overload each other with uh, too many signals and too many messages. And only, um, she says in the movies, does one poignant gaze predictably follow another and one small touch always elicit an exquisitely timed gesture in return. We are sorely mistaken if what we believe love is about is always being in tune. In fact, it is the opposite. We are constantly out of tune, but then what do we do with that? Uh, Sue Johnson says on a societal level, the most obvious implication of the new science of bonding is that we must educate for connection. Uh, that is that is my whole goal of putting out even these podcasts. I mean, I want you to go find professional help. This is no uh, um, uh, replacement for um, professional therapy, but but we need to educate ourselves for connection. First, got to even know that the, what that connection looks like if we've never seen that connection, and then let's go find that connection with our partner. She says the most organic way to do this is to support couples in their efforts to create loving bonds and be responsive parents. We should acknowledge. She says, as Franz DeWall notes, that there is no escaping the reality that we are dependent upon others. It is a given. If dependency and vulnerability is recognized and handled well in loving relationships, and I love that part of the quote, if it's recognized and handled well, it is the source of the best human qualities, empathy, kindness, and cooperation. So how do we develop empathy? It's when we are putting out these uh, emotional bids, when we are um, having these, uh, tell me more about that, from somebody that we securely connect to or somebody that we want to securely connect to. Um, we need to educate for qualities such as empathy, which is at least as relevant, uh, Sue Johnson says, to health, happiness, and citizenship. Um, she, let, me, let me read you that quote. She says, we need to educate for qualities such as empathy, which is at least as relevant to health, happiness, and citizenship as arithmetic. But do we know how to teach these qualities? And that's, that's what I love. That's, you know, we don't take it in that regard. We don't look at it as, as necessary to be able to teach things like empathy or teach these qualities of connection. So in this book, Love Sense, um, I want to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, Sue Johnson believes that EFT, emotionally focused therapy, can help break, you know, couples break out of these patterns of uh, interrupting and dismantling these, these destructive sequences and, and then constructing a more emotionally open and receptive way of interacting. So where she, what she says, and, and I was reading a couple of reviews of Love Sense, and one of them, uh, she talked to, one of the, the reviewers was talking about, um, in the book, she, she references a brain scanning study. She said, before EFT therapy, um, unhappily married women participating in the study re reported considerable pain from an electric shock to the ankle as they held their husband's hand. After 20 sessions of EFT, 
However, those now more securely attached women judged their pain as only uncomfortable, and their brain scan showed no alarm response. So secure attachment appears to change brain function and reduce pain. That is fascinating. I mean, don't we want to be able to change our brain function and reduce pain through this secure attachment to a partner? Um, and let me kind of jump in here too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump around a little bit. I've got a whole lot of notes in front of me. I want to talk about some attachment patterns, um, but I also want to, uh, let me just kind of start here. Um, in the book, Love Cinch, Sue Johnson talks about that you, you learn that love is a basic survival code, that it's an essential task, what she says, out of a mammalian brain that is to read and respond to others and that it is being able to depend on others that makes us strong. Um, she talks about that the, she, she loves talking about learning how rejection and abandonment are these danger cues that plunge us into real physical pain. And that's one of the most fascinating parts about this book, um, that, uh, that these danger cues of rejection and abandonment express themselves this, in the same way areas of the brain that real physical pain does. Um, and, and she even goes on to say in this book that sexual frustration and novelty are overrated and that even the most distressed couples can repair the bond if they are gar- guided to deal with their emotions a little differently. And I love that too. I do find, and I think couples think that I'm just being nice where a lot of times I say that we're closer to these EFT conversations than we think. They're basically founded in this, are you there for me? You know, let me explain my point of view. And all we're missing at times is just seek first to understand. You know, if our partner, if I go in and my wife seems upset, I want to know. I want to know everything about her day, where, where where that's coming from, what are her experiences that have led up to the way that she's feeling and expressing as there been, what, what role have I played in this? You know, I want to know, because once I know, then I can do something with that data. Uh, but let me, let me just kind of jump down here a little bit. Um, we've got these different attachment styles and, uh, and I've talked about these in some previous podcasts. I do think that it's really important to recognize that, you know, adult attachment researchers have identified three basic attachment styles or, or these, um, habitual strategies. And so I want to kind of keep this in, in mind when we're again talking about why we have trouble, um, reaching out or connecting with our partner. Those attachment styles, the first one is secure attachment. And that's where the person, the partner is saying, I find it relatively easy to get close to others and I'm comfortable depending on them and having them depend on me. I don't worry about being abandoned or about somebody getting too close to me. The second type of attachment pattern is anxious attachment. And that's where you say, I find that others are reluctant to get as close as I would like. I often worry that my partner doesn't really love me or won't want to stay with me. And I want to get very close to my partner, but this sometimes scares people away. Or the third type of attachment style is avoidant, where you're saying, I am uncomfortable being close to others. I find it difficult to trust them completely. It's difficult to allow myself to depend on them. And often others want me to be more intimate, but I'm nervous when anyone gets too close. So they're at the core. You know, if we have these uh, different attachment styles or different attachment patterns, and we are, uh, and, and you know, if, we, if one of us in the relationship has a secure attachment pattern and the other person has an avoidant attachment pattern, then you can already see that without being able to have these skills or these tools to to um, be able to communicate about the way that we attach or, or those needs that we're hoping to be met, that you can see how this gets difficult. I've had clients before who have said, you know, my partner just needs to realize that, that I want to do whatever that, you know, I want to do what's right for them. I want to do what's best for them. I want to make them happy. But to an avoidant um, attachment style. So if that one's somebody coming from a secure attachment, somebody who is avoidant with their attachment, you know, it says I have difficulty trusting somebody completely. So if somebody is saying, no, look, I just want to make you happy, you know, whatever that is, somebody with an avoidant attachment style is saying, I don't know if I can trust you. And they may have reasons in their head where they have examples of where, but here's where I don't feel like I could trust you. So this, this new way, this learning how to communicate around these attachment issues is a way to kind of give a voice to some of these thoughts that we're holding in our heads. Those, well, he should know. 
or, you know, well, I'm not letting anybody in because of this experience. But we're not going to open up about whatever that experience is if our partner is going to say, that's ridiculous. I never do that, you know, and, and thus we kind of get into these uh, these negative patterns. So, you know, Sue Johnson says emotion is actually nature's exquisitely efficient information processing and signaling system designed to rapidly reorganize behavior in the interest of survival. Emotion apprises us that something vital to our, to our welfare is occurring. And that's what I love. When you really want to, to change the relationship dynamic, when you see your partner in distress, when they are displaying emotion, that is your cue. That is, you know, tell them thank you for, for expressing this emotional distress because now you say, hey, I'm recognizing, you know, tell me what's going on here. I see this emotional response. And so, so that is a cue to kind of uh, reach out to our partner and say, hey, I am here for you. You know, tell me what's going on. Um, I thought this was fascinating too. She said, we broadcast emotion mainly through our facial expressions and tone of voice. And we apprehend and comprehend these signals instantaneously. It takes just 100 milliseconds for our brain to register the smallest alteration in another person's face and just 300 milliseconds more to feel it in our own body and uh, what we see in that face. So basically to mirror the change we see. So emotion becomes contagious. We've talked about this in a couple of other podcasts, these mirror neurons. You know, emotion's contagious. We literally catch each other's sentiments and we feel what the other person is feeling. And this is the basis of empathy. Um, so, so, and here's the part I kind of alluded to earlier, and this is on actually page 77 of this book, Love Sense. Sue Johnson saying, it's now clear that there's a literal neural overlap in the way that we process and experience relational and physical pain. So check that out. Relational, relationship, emotional, and physical pain. Both pains, as experiments by psychologist Naomi Eisenberger of UCLA attest, are alarm systems, whether it's relational or emotional pain, or whether it's physical pain that they are designed to grab our attention and focus our resources on minimizing threat. So the threat in hurt feelings arising from triggers such as rejection by a loved one um, is emotional loss and separation. So in mammals, perhaps because of their need for extended maternal care, isolation is a clear danger cue. It registers as a physical threat to survival. So when we feel like we are being isolated from our partner, when we are on our own, when we feel like it is only up to us, Here's the key. That is a isolation is a clear danger cue. It registers as a physical threat to survival. So why is it difficult then at times to say, I just got to can't, I just got to worry about me. It's because meanwhile, that registers as isolation. This is a clear danger cue. Um, There's neural overlap in the way that we're processing a, a physical danger and an emotional danger. So this neural overlap uh, explains why researchers have found that, and I thought this was interesting. Uh, Sue Johnson says that um, she has in the book, Tylenol can reduce hurt feelings and emotional support can lessen physical pain. So because they come from the same place. How, how, how interesting is that? So and, and the data even backs it up, um, including that of childbirth or cancer treatment or heart surgery. So our need for connection with others has shaped our neural makeup and the structure of our emotional life. So the good news is even if, that we were, if, we, even if we were emotionally starved in our childhood relationships, our adult um, relationships offer us a second chance to learn new and more effective ways to deal with our emotions and signal our longings to others. Here is again key number two or three um, of today. You know, I think a little while ago, it's like, here's the key. So the, the, the key, page 79 of the book Love Sense, more secure bonding teaches us how to tolerate, work with, and use our emotions. And being able to manage our emotions in turn helps us to adapt and connect with others. Key number four, <laughs> uh, a secure relationship is one where we learn to become emotionally intelligent. That is, that is so important. Loving partners help us when we are confused and unsure about our feelings as when we feel too little or too much. So listen to that. So a loving partner is where we, are, where we want to go when we are confused and unsure about our feelings, as if we feel too little or too much. If we find ourselves caught up in the too much or too little 
uh, mode across a lot of different situations and relations, basically saying, how am I handling this? Am I handling this okay? Am I overreacting? Am I underreacting? Chances are that we're having a problem with emotional balance and regulating our emotions. Um, So the ability to find this balance is the most basic lesson that we learn or we don't learn from early attachment figures. So those who have had a positive relationship with a parental figure, they've got a little bit of an advantage. Maybe those who have not had a positive experience, um, that can be a disadvantage. But we require, Sue Johnson says, she calls it a procedural map of how to hold on to our emotional equilibrium and connection with others. So being in balance allows us to move in many different directions easily and and have more ways of responding and and you know she talks about these dances these uh, but dancing with others so so what this all says is that your partner so we have these attachment uh, issues from the factory because we do and we're human and that's okay and then we have these different attachment styles because again we're human and uh, those can be a whole bunch of different things nature nurture uh, attachment birth order uh, you know death of a parent a sibling a loved one moving around um, rejection from friends job stuff you name it we're going to have these different uh, things that make us us these attachment styles but then we are reaching out to a partner and when we have a secure attachment it's they are they become our base we and them are you and your partner become this base from where you are then learning in lots of different situations and relationships where you are finding that you know are you are you how are you responding to this are you overreacting are you underreacting um, you know, being in balance, moving in, in many different directions happens best when you have the secure base. So all this adds up to the fact that the more secure we are, the more able we are to turn emotion up or down with relative ease. So if we know we're going to go back to our base, our base camp, and there's our partner and they get us and we can go and we can process and, you know, here's where I was, here's my thoughts, here's what was going on. And our partner's like, tell me more. I'm here for you. I care about you. I'm not going anywhere. I mean, does that does that one make sense? You know, so so that's what makes it uh, all the more important to have this secure attachment, the secure base. So a secure base creates the safety that continues to foster personal growth and emotional balance and a loving connection. Um, Sue Johnson says being able to securely attach is the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, just a couple of things uh, more, and then we'll, we'll wrap this one up. I could I could go on on this one, and maybe what I'll have to do is a, a whole episode on um, her book Love Sense because it's just amazing. Uh, in an earlier podcast about why um, using emotionally focused therapy, and I, and I talked about an article that she had read. Um, this is, I keep going back to this one in, in counseling, um, in sessions. Our loved one, this is Sue Johnson said, our loved one is our shelter in life. When this person is unavailable and unresponsive, we are assailed by a tsunami of emotions, sadness, anger, hurt, and above all fear. This fear is wired in. So being able to rely on a loved one to know that he or she will answer our call is our innate survival code. That's that attachment stuff. Research is clear that when we sense a primary love relationship is threatened, we go into a primal panic. Now we know that that's because that that feels that our brain is activating the same areas that, that is pain, whether it's emotional pain, whether it's physical pain, that we go into this primal panic and we want to to have those uh, those needs met. So the need that we have as children to be able to call a special one and know this person will respond with reassurance and, and comfort, it, it never quite goes away. It, well, it never goes away. And that's okay. To know that we're loved is the safe haven we all long for. This longing for is wired into our brains Um, as uh, she says, from cradle to the grave. The strongest among us are not those who can take or leave other people, but who can risk and reach out to them and who learn how to do that in a healthy way. These individuals know how to send clear emotional signals that pull others close. Um, She refers to a many months, a a study that talked about many months after 9-11. Survivors who were comfortable turning to loved ones seemed to recover well, while those who turned away were scarred about relying on others and still struggled with the ghosts of that day. Because our brains are wired to see emotional isolation as dangerous and send a panic signal when we cannot get love, when we don't feel like someone is there for us who answers that call of, do you care about me? Do you love me? Can I count on you? 
Um, and when we have that special closeness to a loved one, whether, you know, whether it is uh, intimate, intimacy or just holding each other, um, did a whole episode on that uh, nice cuddle hormone called oxytocin. And oxytocin gives that sense of calm and peace and joy and, and eliminates that stress hormone. So uh, what have we learned today? That I totally understand when people say that, hey, I got to take care of me first. It makes sense. But I don't want someone to feel like the what's wrong with me story if they find themselves continually wanting to reach out to a partner. Or at times, if their partner's unavailable, they may find that they're trying, they, they may find themselves reaching out to others, you know, whether it's friendships or, or even if it's, you know, emotional connection to someone else that they, they don't want to have that. They want the emotional connection with their partner. Um, and, and I have to tell you, when people then do experience this emotional connection for sometimes for the first time, you know, that's why it is just this, holy cow, what is this? You know, this is that, that attachment need that they have been longing for. And, and, you know, at some points, and here's where things get really into the weeds from a marriage therapist standpoint is people will then say to me, Hey, there's been 30 years of, uh, of like this, um, we've been doing this dance and it's not very productive, you know, can that be fixed? And, and Hey, I might, you know, I, I, I don't know the answer to that, but what I do know is that you can tell that, you know, over years of that emotional neglect or emotional abandonment, you can understand um, where people get to the point where they feel like it is hard to trust. And so it, it would be very difficult for them to continually throw themselves back into that situation and not have those emotional needs met, especially you know, when they, when they have kind of now, and sometimes I feel like when people hear even this kind of data, or they read a book like Love Sense or Hold Me Tight or any of those kind of attachment related books, and then they feel like, whoa, I, I want that. You know, so so uh, takeaways. But so you're, you know, nothing's wrong with you if you're feeling like, but I do want that attachment with my partner. That I do feel like that is what I have have desired at my core. And so you know, true. You know, take care of you, get the self care going. But I just want people to recognize that these things are evolutionarily, biologically hardwired, and nothing is wrong with someone of wanting to reach out for that other par- partner. And when I work with couples, and there is that secure attachment then you can now see that that is a basis from where they operate. So I can go out there and I can fail miserably when I'm uh, putting out a podcast or speaking in public or doing whatever. And it's a little easier to kind of go navigate that when I know I can come back and process that with my wife because I know she is there for me. She cares about me, that sort of thing. Uh, and do we have the same attachment style? No, I'm super needy. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, and, you know, and I love the fact that we've been able to communicate about that and understand where that comes from. She's c- cool as a cucumber, which I need to look up that uh, idiom as well. So, hey, thanks for taking the time today. And I hope that if, if you know, if you are someone who, um, who you know, is going and, and working with someone and they are saying, you just need to focus on you, I get it. I totally understand. I mean, and, and truthfully, I, I would love to have somebody working from that place than no place at all. But I do want you to kind of recognize, too, that they're, you know, so to me, when I hear those, I just have to be me. I just have to work on me. Not just I have to, when I have to work on me and I can't expect anything from my partner, that that's, those are those, uh, you know, screaming uh, red flags to me of saying, Hey, you, you know, do you know what a, a secure attachment looks like, where that comes from and why that that uh, throws up that primal panic when we don't have those? Well, here's that data. Now do with that, whatever you want. If you feel like you're too far along in the relationship and that is something that you can't trust, or if you feel like you're in a relationship with an emotionally abusive spouse, um, and then that is not something that you want to go and put yourself out for is to say, Hey, I'm going to be super vulnerable now that I have this data and he doesn't. Um, I know that can be hard. So those are those tough choices. Go see a therapist, work through that sort of thing. Um, but just know that uh, But that's where we were kind of designed from, you know, again, as Sue Johnson says, from cradle to the grave of wanting those uh, that uh, special closeness of a loved one. 
um, that, uh, that we see that emotional isolation is dangerous. And that's when we send that panic signal. And sometimes that panic signal is withdraw. Sometimes it's anger, but that when I'm sitting in my office, that panic signal is saying, are you there for me? Um, can I count on you? Okay. I've gone on too long. I'm uh, venturing into the world of cliches, but, uh, thanks for listening and, uh, please, uh, spread this podcast around. If you found that there was anything helpful here and, um, I look forward to talking to you next time on the virtual couch. flying past our heads and out the other end the pressures of the daily grind it's wonderful elastic waste and rubber ghost i'm floating past the midnight hour they push aside